This evening we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 32. The title of my sermon is Perseverance in Prayer. Perseverance in Prayer. In our last visit to the book of Genesis, Jacob departed from Haran in Mesopotamia, having spent the last 20 years there in the service of his uncle Laban, who became his father-in-law. During that time, Jacob took Laban's eldest daughter, Leah, to be his wife, and also he took Leah's younger sister to be his wife. Her her younger sister being called Rachel. Finally, the Lord delivered Jacob out of the strange land and Jacob set off on a journey back to the promised land of Canaan with his wife Leah and their six sons and one daughter, also his wife Rachel and their one son, also Leah's maidservant Zilpah, she had two sons from uh, with Jacob. Also, Rachel's maidservant, Bilhah, she had two sons with um, Jacob. By way of application, it was seen that as Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel in this chapter, was delivered by the Lord from a strange land to return to the promised land of Canaan, having prospered greatly, remember that he, he, towards the end of his service for his uncle Laban, he prospered greatly in terms of sheep and, and goats and cattle and so on. And as he prospered greatly, so too did his descendants, um, the children of Israel, His name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons in all. 11 of them were were born in Haran. But those 12 sons, they were the patriarchs of Israel. And so Jacob's descendants, the children of Israel, when they were delivered by the Lord from their oppression in Egypt, about 200 years later, they departed to the promised land, they headed for the promised land and they too prospered greatly on their departure from Egypt. Furthermore, it was seen that ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ, who made himself of no reputation when he came into this world of sin and degradation, he was highly exalted by God upon the completion of his work after his um, resurrection from the dead, highly exalted and now Jesus having returned to heavenly glory is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And last of all it was seen that all of you who are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, you are the Israel of God. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, you've been delivered from darkness, you've been transferred out of darkness, out of the strange land, and you've been transferred into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you have received every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus your Lord. In other words, having been delivered from darkness, 
you now have treasures, riches, greater, infinitely greater than all the treasures of this world combined. It can be seen in Genesis chapter 32 and 33. We haven't looked at 33. We're not going to look at chapter 33 this evening. But it can be seen in chapters 32 and 33 that Jacob's epic journey back to the promised land of Canaan where he pitched his tent in Sheshem was far from uneventful. It most certainly wasn't a boring journey. First of all, we see in our chapter 32 that a host of angels met him. That's the first thing we see in verse 1 there. Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When was the last time the angels of God met you when you set out on a journey? But this gives you a a flavour. This is already a flavour of things to come in that journey. Also, the route of Jacob's journey required him to pass through or at least near to the country of Eden whose founder was his brother Esau. You remember Esau, don't you? You'll recall that the reason that Jacob fled Canaan and went to Haran in the first place was because he had secured Esau's blessing. Esau was his older brother. He'd secured Esau's blessing from their father through deception. And consequently, Esau wanted to kill him. Having said that, In line with the promise of God to Jacob, what we've seen is the providence of God working all the way through this. Uh, As we've been following the the events of Jacob, the far uh, far from boring life of Jacob, we've seen God's hand at work, ensuring that that blessing, which included the land of Canaan as an inheritance, would most certainly go to Jacob. After all, God had said to Jacob, in, in, in thee and in thy seed shall all nation, all families of the earth be blessed. And part of the fulfilment of that promise would involve Jacob, or at least his descendants, inheriting the land of Canaan and not his brother Esau. Anyway, Jacob sent some of his servants ahead of him to inform Esau of his coming and presumably to gauge Esau's attitude towards him. And they returned with the news that Esau was coming with 400 of his men. We're not told that Esau still harboured murderous thoughts towards his younger brother Jacob, but Jacob clearly saw it that way since we read in Verse 7 there, that Jacob was greatly afraid and greatly distressed. That was when he heard that Esau was coming his way with a band of 400 men, afraid and distressed. Jacob then put into place a strategy to pacify, to placate Esau. His servants went in advance. They went ahead and split up with each of them having gifts to shower upon Esau. Also, Jacob's household was divided into two companies along the route, so that if one of the companies was attacked, then perhaps the other company would manage to get away unharmed. So clearly he was fearful of what Esau and his 400 men might do. 
There's much in our passage that we could look at, but all I propose to consider with you in any detail this evening is Jacob's prayer to God and his night of wrestling with a man by which he was comforted, encouraged and blessed by God. With regards to the wrestling, after Jacob had sent his two wives, his two women servants or concubines, his eleven sons and presumably his daughter, over the ford of the river Jabbok, we are told in chapter 32, verse 24, that he was left alone. Jacob was left alone and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. As to the identity of the man that Jacob wrestled with through the night, the answer to that one can be found in verse 30, where it can be seen that Jacob called the name of the place Peniel because he saw God face to face and his life was preserved. Peniel means the face of God. First of all, Jacob reminded God of the promise that God had made to him. Look at verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which says unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred and I will deal well with thee. That takes us back 20 years to when Jacob was on his way to Haran, having fled from his brother Esau. He went to sleep on the desert floor, you may recall, and he dreamed a dream in which he saw a ladder or staircase reaching up to heaven with the angels of God ascending and descending the ladder, and above the ladder stood the Lord. And the Lord promised Jacob in the dream that his seed shall be as the dust of the earth and that in his seed all families of the earth shall be blessed. That seed as we've seen time and again is the Lord Jesus Christ who and all who have been baptised in Christ all who have put on Christ as repentant sinners. But also, in that dream, the Lord said to Jacob, um, it's in chapter 28, verse 15, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, into the land of Canaan. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. That was the promise of God 20 years earlier, when Jacob was fleeing from his angry brother and making his way to Haran. And so Jacob brought that promise to remembrance in his prayer. Secondly, we see that Jacob renounced all dependence upon himself. Look at verse 10 and 11. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff 
I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me, and the mother with the children. In verse 26, Sorry, even though Jacob took certain measures to placate his brother and to protect his family, as any husband and father would do, that seems to be the responsible thing to do. We see in this prayer that his dependence was not on himself, neither was his dependence on the measures that he put in place. Rather, he looked beyond himself to God as he acknowledged himself to be totally unworthy to receive anything good from God. I found this particularly interesting. In fact, after I'd finished preparing this sermon today, it really hit me just how relevant this is. I don't know about you, but there are times when people are asking for prayer, Christians, shall we say, They're asking for prayer for something or other and you know they're not lifting a finger to do anything themselves. And I struggle a bit to pray about it if I'm being honest with you. I know that when it comes to being saved from from sin we can do nothing. I spend enough time talking about this. It is by grace we are saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that God would open hearts to understand, open ears to hear, open eyes to see the Lord Jesus Christ, that God would be merciful to sinners, yeah? And we know, Christians in here, we know that our own condition, before we were wonderfully saved, we weren't interested. We're too busy doing other things and reveling in our sin. And so we pray that God would intervene according to the riches of his grace and save whoever it is you're praying for. But there are times when people, Christians in particular, they ask for prayer for this, that. Well, it would be Christians. Other people don't generally ask me for prayer. But Christians asking for prayer, and I know that that person is doing nothing. But here in our passage, what do we see with Jacob? He's doing all sorts of things. He's, he's afraid, he's distressed because his brother Esau is coming with 400 men and, and so he's split his family up into two bands, two companies. He's also sent his servants on ahead with gifts to shower upon Esau. He's thought of all these strategies because he cares for his family and he's doing the right thing there. But also he's praying there And he's reminding God of God's promises to him. And the two can and do go together. We pray, but we we don't just sit there and do nothing either. And we look to God to give guidance. And the enabling grace to do whatever it is that we want to do, if indeed it is God's will. And to God be the glory. And that's what I see Jacob doing here. However, you know, we we look at um, Jacob in verse 10. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies 
That's Jacob acknowledging his unworthiness. But I wonder, are there times when you plead with God, but you do so imagining that you somehow deserve God's help and his favour? If ever you do that, then you cannot expect such prayers to be acceptable to God. In Luke chapter 18, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke a parable about a tax collector standing in the temple and far from commending himself before God, he beat his breast. That should always be the attitude of your heart. Whether you are praying to God for the first time ever or for the hundredth time and even if you've been a Christian for decades You come to God acknowledging that you are not worthy of anything good from God. When we come before the throne of God's grace in prayer, we are to do so acknowledging our total unworthiness to receive anything good from him. And there is only one who is worthy and his name is Jesus. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And we come to God in prayer in Jesus' name, don't we? And we come to God washed in the blood of Jesus and clothed with his righteousness. Thirdly, Jacob persevered in prayer. We'll look at verses 24 through to 29 again. And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and has prevailed. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him. In verse 26, Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. He said those words despite having had his thigh joint dislocated. That sounds extremely painful to me. His joint was dislocated, but still he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Therefore, there can be no doubt that Jacob was determined to be blessed. And one might say that there was more chance of a dog letting go of a bone than Jacob letting go of the man whom he was wrestling until such time that he was blessed. And blessed he was, as can be seen in verse 29 there. The very end of verse 29, and he blessed him there. 
In a parable about persevering in prayer in Luke chapter 18, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about a widow who went to a judge who feared not God, neither regarded men. The woman asked the judge to avenge her of of her adversary. She kept coming back to the judge. And he would not, for a while, he would not avenge her of her adversary, but afterwards he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard men, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. In other words, he got so fed up with her, the widow coming to him, that in the end he avenged her of her adversary. Jesus then said, Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? And of course he will. If the wicked judge avenge the widow of her adversary, the wicked judge who feared not God, then of course God will hear and answer the prayer of his elect, those who have are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour. Fourthly, the man whom Jacob wrestled was the son of God. The son of God. Look at verse 29 again. And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Even before Jacob said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. He said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And that suggests to me that he already knew that he was wrestling God because he was looking to the person, the man whom he was wrestling to bless him. Yet still he said, tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And the answer he received was, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? In other words, Jacob didn't get an answer, did he? But he was nevertheless blessed. Unlike Jacob, we have completed Bibles. I don't know how, if you realise, if you appreciate just how privileged we are to have these. Incredibly privileged. Jacob didn't have the Bible. Didn't exist in his day. The completed Bible. And and by diligently searching the scriptures, we can discover precisely whom Jacob wrestled. You can follow this, uh, you can look, I'm going to read it to you anyway. The prophet Hosea makes reference to Genesis chapter 32. And you'd see it in Hosea chapter 3, sorry, chapter 12 and verse 3. If you want to turn to that. Hosea chapter 12 and verse 3. Give you a few seconds to find that. It says in Hosea chapter 12 and verse 3 that he, that's Jacob, had power with God. He had power with God. Then in the very next verse, it is written, 
Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. Looking at those two verses together, it's reasonable to say that Jacob wrestled the uncreated angel of the Lord, the Son of God. He had power with God, he had power over the angel, the uncreated angel of the Lord, the Son of God. Also, about 500 years after Jacob had power with God, Samson's father, you know Samson, the one who who was with Delilah, the one who uh, was put between the pillars of a a pagan temple and he brought the temple down, killing all the Philistines who were in that temple. Well, anyway, his name was Manoah. Samson's father was Manoah. And on one occasion, he was speaking to the angel of the Lord and he believed him to be just a man. Manoah said to him, what is thy name? Very similar to Jacob, isn't it? He asked the angel of the Lord, what is thy name? Thinking that he was just a man. The reply he got, according to Judges, chapter 13 and verse 18, was, Why askest thou thus after my name? Seeing it is secret. Seeing it is secret. The Hebrew word that's been translated secret there also means wonderful. Why askest thou after my name, seeing it is wonderful? And we can see in the prophecy of Isaiah that the angel of the Lord, whom Manoah spoke to, is none other than the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, for his name is wonderful. As it is written in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. So the man whom Jacob wrestled all through the night was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Eternal Son of God. I've got some applications for us. The Apostle Paul said, Be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Dear Christian, when you have anxieties, perhaps like Jacob, when you're afraid or distressed, or perhaps when you're sorrowful, or downcast, you are to pray. And in that prayer, take a leaf out of Jacob's book and remind God of his promises to you. Not that God needs to be reminded. Even so, remind God. Bring to remembrance the promises of God in your prayer. It's more about you being consoled and encouraged by the word of God as you repeat to the Lord in prayer what he has already promised to you. In doing so, you'll be quite literally proclaiming the word of God. When you repeat those promises of God, you are proclaiming the word of God. The God who cannot lie and who, when he makes a promise, will most surely keep his promise. Also, although 
Although God does not promise anyone an easy ride or a walk in the park in this world, the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, has said, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That has got to be worth holding on to. That has got to be worth cherishing in your heart and repeating in prayer in times of affliction and in times of sorrow. And even in death, what King David said in Psalm 23 comes to mind as being well worth repeating to God in prayer. David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I like what the Bible commentator Matthew Henry said about those words of David. Henry said, Death is a king of terrors, but not to the sheep of Christ. When they come to die, God will rebuke the enemy. He will guide them with his rod and sustain them with his staff. There is enough in the gospel to comfort the saints when dying and underneath them are the everlasting arms. Dear Christian, when you think about it, all your hopes, all your hopes as a child of God, and I'm talking about heavenly hopes, are founded upon the promises of God. And they have their yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ who has gone to prepare a place for you in his father's house. Far from being wrong and irreverent to remind God in your prayers of his glorious promises to you, God will certainly hear and hearken to such prayers. But what about those of you who do not know the living God? Well, ordinarily, your prayers will, will not even be heard by God. If you reject his son, you can't expect God to hear your prayers. What you can expect is the wrath of God to abide on you, though. However, the good news is that it is written in Psalm 145, verses 18 and 19, that the Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfil the desire of them that fear him. He also will hear their cry and will save them. Therefore, what you can do and what you must do is hold God to his promise. Call upon him as a repentant sinner, seeking forgiveness for all your sins through faith in his beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who at the cross carried in his own body the sins of all who trust in him as repentant sinners. God will hear your prayer. He will save you by his grace, as he did the tax collector who stood in the temple. With a repentant heart and in deep humility, as I've said, that man beat his chest and he prayed, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that that man went home justified. Therefore, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Amen.